Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate. And I'm Molly. And today I'm telling Kate a story again. This time we are talking about the book Hype, how scammers, grifters, and con artists are taking over the internet and why we're following by Gabrielle Bluestone. And it's very fun and I can't wait to tell you all about it. Yay! I'm excited. I feel like... We have spent a lot of time talking about scams and documentaries that have come out about scams, so (laughs) I'm looking forward to actually talking about a book that's on this topic. Yeah, Um, and this one is fun because it it covers mainly the Firefest scam, which if you're not familiar with, we will talk all about. But around that framework, she talks about all these other scam-adjacent things, and I found it very satisfying to my interests. So, Ooh, scam adjacent. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Ooh. I'm excited to learn. <laughs> so I'm going to start with a summary, of course, give us like a good sense of what this book is about. And then we will do the similar format that we've done the last couple of times where I ask Kate some questions, I read some different passages, and I give you a sense of some of the bigger themes in the book so you can understand And that will be that. So I'll give a summary now. And then, yeah, I do have a a question for Kate at the top. It'll be a fun one. So the book was copyrighted in 2021. So this was written during the pandemic. She talks about that a lot. Yeah, throughout. Um, And I think she started it in 2019. So she's worked on for a couple of years and then published in 2021. So summary, the the book Hype uses the scandal of the Fire Festival, a failed music festival that led to fraud charges and a prison sentence for its founder, Billy McFarland, as a framework to investigate the many scams, cons, and grifts that thrive in the internet age. Through interviews and firsthand accounts and marketing research, Bluestone digs into the culture of influence that blurs the line between promotion and fabrication and attempts to answer the question, why do we keep falling for this? Gabrielle Bluestone is a journalist, a lawyer, and also executive produced the Fire Festival Netflix documentary um, that released in, I think, 2019. So she's like an industry person in New York City, got lots of connections clearly, and has a lot of um, background in media. The one thing that I wanted to mention about the Fire Fest documentary on Netflix that she was the executive producer on was that it was also co-produced by Jerry Media and Matt Productions, who were a part of the Fire Festival. They were paid to like do media and productions around Fire Festival. So the fact that they co-produced the documentary feels very suspect to me. Like, no, no. Really? No. I feel like that's not a conflict of interest. You don't that think makes, so? No. Um, I know. It seems, seems totally weird. normal, and they definitely did not paint themselves in the best light. I can't imagine. Yeah, they were very they reasonable. Yeah. They seem like really trustworthy people, honestly. (laughs) Truly. Fuck Jerry is clearly trustworthy. (laughs) Gabrielle Bluestone, though, in this book, to her credit, is not, does not, like, spare any hold punches, spare punches. What am I trying to say? Uh, Spare punches, I think. Is that? Spare any punches. Yeah. Something like that. She doesn't hold back is what I'm trying 
to say. She so, goes after them too. Yeah, That's she's very, <laughs> yeah. She's not like mean. She's just very clear with what the facts were and who did what and who could have done what better. So, gotcha. okay. Um, so she's very like factual in her retelling and exactly. she's not like, hopefully, being biased. Yes. Because of her association with these other people. Exactly. Does not seem to be biased in these things in any way. So interesting that she was a part of this Netflix documentary that was clearly had some bias involved, but I didn't sense that <laughs> to be a part of this book at all. The And the cover is actually really fun. I'll show you. It's a picture of a sheep and the sheep has a shadow that's being cast behind it. And the shadow is that of a wolf that's howling up at the moon. Ooh, so like it's a really this. fun cover that I found enjoyable. I really like that. Yeah. So first question here for you, Kate. I'm borrowing this um, from some different podcasts I've heard lately where at the top they ask, um, what is your relationship with whatever the topic of their podcast is? So for this one, I want to know, like, what is your relationship to scams? And like, have you ever been scammed or have you ever been? been a scammer of any kind like tell me about it oh my god it's you know I feel like most of us have had some sort of close call before but um (laughs) one of the scams that this made me think of which I did almost fall for I was very close to like sending them information Mm. um was through work so I got a phishing email that supposedly came from my executive director when I was working at a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and there was something about it where I was like, this seems weird, but I was like, again, very busy that day. Wasn't really like paying that close of attention, you know, whatever the circumstances was. I remember being like very stressed, um, as per usual via nonprofit. And, um, the, the funny part about it is that my executive director would often send emails that didn't have a lot of context and would just be like, Mm. Hey, blah, 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 do do this this thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, thanks, executive director name. And um, (laughs) I think that that was (laughs) part of it is that the scammer, Mm -hmm. like my executive director wrote like a scammer. scammer. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, well, this could be her. (laughs) Um, Like this legitimately could be that person. They they really kind of sound like them. So I I was like this close to just like doing the thing and it was like purchasing gift cards or something. I don't even know yes. what it was. Yes. And then I um I sent the email to my boss and was like, is this something I'm supposed to be doing? And then I think a part of it, the part of the reason why I did send it to my boss was because like, I don't want to do this work. Can someone else do this? Yeah. And I think a part of me, that's what saved me is I was like, well, God. can somebody else do this? I'm busy today. And yeah. then she was like, that's a phishing like, email. And I was like, okay, thank you. But then Got later, it. like somebody on our staff did fall for that. And um, it was, you know, a whole thing. Everybody has to change their passwords, like blah, blah, blah. Yes. But that kind of stuff happens all the time, I feel yes. like, to work emails. It does. That used to happen to me a lot at a nonprofit I worked at. Mm-hmm. We would get very, it was always gift cards like that, which was like, at a certain point, it was like, guys, we know that the gift card thing is a scam. Yeah. Yeah. You're not fooling us. Yeah. After you get enough of them, you're like, oh, okay, well, I know this is phishing. I'm sending it. But if it's the first time you're right. seeing it, it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and our like director also wrote like a scammer, mm-hmm. so c- totally could have been. So <laughs> once like when I got one of those sentences, like do the thing, bye. <laughs> I forwarded it to my personal email, which you know it would just show up as my same name mm-hmm. either way. 
when I replied to this person and I just felt like having some fun that day. So I replied to them and I basically started scamming them back. <laughs> so I you kept no you being buy me basically, gift cards, bitch. <laughs> I was basically like super incompetent about it. I asked them like some questions about like they wanted me to buy gift cards. Of course, they wanted Amazon gift cards and I was like, "Oh, right, for when the like the queen is in town." Got it. <laughs> Definitely that makes a lot of sense. And Basically, we emailed back and forth so many times. They were getting so frustrated with me. And finally, I was like, okay, I've got the gift cards. Unfortunately, the only thing I could get right now was Applebee's and Topeka. I hope that's okay. Obviously, that's where you'll be with the queen. So I really think it's like the appropriate thing. But anyway, and they were just like, um, can you just send them? So I sent them, of course, like screenshots of like mm-hmm. fake gift cards from the internet, like with the barcodes, because that's what they're asking for. They wanted the barcodes. And then they're like, these barcodes aren't working. And I was like, that's so crazy. It was hysterical they got so pissed and i was like bitch you're You're mad mad at me me? for being incompetent about your scam (laughs) yeah um hysterical so So, i don't know that i'd recommend that though because like you know then they had my personal email and stuff like it was a little risky i could have gotten in trouble with work for sure but i was like it was funny it was worth a joke um would not mess around (laughs) with that at my current job but at the time it was v v okay um (laughs) yes that's amazing i love that i love that you did that i think more have fun with your applebee's gift cards bitch (laughs) (laughs) okay all right so that was great funny too because 25 dollars applebee's would buy you like half the menu so (laughs) oh my god it was so funny um they were very ungrateful which rude given all of the hard work I put into that. It's honestly truly so funny to me that they were like, we wanted Amazon, but we'll take Applebee's. That's fine. (laughs) Like, what? Uh, Well, it's like, I kept like kind of whittling it down little by little. Like they requested something and I was like, oh, I can't do that. But like, what about this? And they were like, okay, just whatever, get us that. And then I'd be like, okay, that didn't work out. How about that? And it just kept getting stupider and stupider until like they'd already invested so many hours talking to me that they were like, okay, fine. Give us something. (laughs) Like, oh, that's so funny. Um, So let's talk about Fire Festival. I'm, I'm sure many people have heard of it, but I want to give a timeline and some explanation about the festival itself so that yeah, we make sure everyone understands and we can talk about it because it's fun. And the reason this in, this scam in particular is funny is because no one was physically harmed. This was a music festival that was meant to take place in the Bahamas. It sort of took place in that people showed up the weekend that it was supposed to start, but none of the acts performed. There was barely any housing. Um, and it could have been really bad. Someone could have died, certainly, but no one did. The people that were harmed the most were like the Bahamian officials who, you know, own businesses or, or lived, worked, whatever. So they were very harmed financially. Uh, all the workers that helped set everything up were never paid. It was a terrible situation for many people, but no one was physically harmed. No one died. And for that reason, it is quite funny. <laughs> um, so we got to back up like, a little bit, we though. We have to have a line in the sand somewhere. Yeah. To talk about... No deaths, many laughs. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I'm going to stitch that on a pillow. <laughs> no deaths, many laughs. Yeah, that's the motto. It also sounds like a bad Yelp review. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> Went to a water park. No deaths, many laughs. 
And honestly, a death at a water park seems like a very likely thing to happen. So actually, it kind of works as a review for Applebee's. <laughs> as as we all know, one would expect to die when going to an Applebee's. So the fact that I often, it... I mostly expect that I will come out dead. Uh, and it's like applewood bacon, applewood coffin. <laughs> it makes sense. So before Fire Festival was conceived of, in 2013, Billy is in New York City and he starts his uh, company. He's started and sold many quote unquote companies, most of which were scam adjacent, at least, um, if not outright scams themselves. But in 2013, he starts Magnesis, which is a credit card company, which the fact that you think you can just start a credit card company is hysterical to me. <laughs> like, okay. All money's <laughs> fake. Let's just do this now. Yeah. And the concept of Magnesis was that, you know, that I don't know what the fancy, like the black card or whatever, American Express, like the fancy cards you can have that are heavy and metal and you sound really cool when you pay for your drinks at the bar. It was the idea that you could have a metal card that makes you stand out and that you also get perks and events that you can attend because of this concierge service that's attached to the card. But you don't have to actually be wealthy to participate. But it was still having this like air of Which, exclusivity. Like, on its face is such a funny thing because it's like, yeah, something doesn't add up about that, though. Like, you can't, like, have all of the services of a wealthy person but not have to pay for it. Like I know. It's... Uh, it's ridiculous but obviously there was lots of young up-and-coming millennials in new york city in 2013 who really wanted to like fake it till they make it so this card would have like events and there was like a company that formed around it you know they had employees and they did they did things Mm -hmm. and in also in maybe it was i actually don't know exactly when they thought of fire festival but between 2013 and like 2016 this evolves into this idea of fire and fire was a company that was actually about booking talent so they had an app and no one ever talks about this because it gets lost in the like festival drama but there was an app that was built to book talent kind of like cameo where you can like pay Mm, x amount of money and someone will like send you a birthday recording like a famous person kylie jenner i mean she never would but you know you could pay for famous people who were on this app to send a birthday greeting to someone and fire was meant to book talent for events so you could have ja rule play at an event a birthday or whatever and um the festival started as a way to promote the app okay so they were going to have all these models and musical acts and everything at Fire Festival to really get the idea of this app off the ground. And people could think, oh, I can like relive this experience or replicate it using this app. So none of this is a sound business model because you, you don't spend millions and millions of dollars on a festival to promote an app that you're trying to get off the ground. That doesn't make sense. But right. that's what they did. And so in the fall of 2016, fall, winter of 2016, promotion of the festival begins. One of the main promotional devices they used was this footage of a bunch of very famous models down in the Bahamas who they did pay to come down and film a shoot on yachts in the water, like doing all this stuff. And looking so, hot. yeah, just looking hot, like swimming with pigs. There was all this, you know, stuff that... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that that was a thing. Yeah, I know. Um, and it, 
the idea was that you would come to this festival on this private island that was once owned by Pablo Escobar. And there would be like snorkeling by a shipwreck. There would be yacht parties with models. And it's going to be very luxurious. You're going to be flown down in these private planes and amazing, right? Um, No, none of that happened. It was mostly, there's a fine line between this question of did they know that they were lying the whole time knew that they would never have any of these things and sold the tickets anyway or did they really think they could pull it off and things just fell apart and that's what happened so was this Mm -hmm. false advertising or was this active fraud you know that's Mm -hmm. kind of a question and it's similar to the theranos question of did elizabeth holmes actually know she was full of shit and was yeah. fully lying or did she really think they could pull this off yeah and part of me thinks that's a question worth exploring but ultimately it doesn't matter because you at a certain point knew that you could not pull it off so continuing mm-hmm. to pretend that you could and that it would look like x mm-hmm. was fraudulent yeah yeah i do feel like we often get into like the the timeline really matters in these scams mm-hmm. of like when did the founder or whoever the head of this project decide that this wasn't feasible anymore or viable and i i'm with you i'm kind of like well it i feel like the timeline matters a lot less if you at some point realized it like if you were like brainwashed in an, you know, a cult or whatever, and you really still were a true believer of this thing, even mm-hmm. though you saw it fail in real time, yeah, then maybe I would feel differently about that case. But clearly, like Billy McFarland and uh, Elizabeth Holmes both mm-hmm. at some point realized this wasn't viable and still kept pushing forward because they didn't want to lose money, they didn't want to lose lose clout, like you know. And so at that point, it's like, okay, well, you. It doesn't matter. You still did a bad thing. Yeah, which I think the timeline here is important for that reason because they, again, promotion began fall, winter of 2016. The festival was supposed to happen April of 20, April 28th of 2017. So they conceived of this maybe a year in advance, started promoting it maybe six months in advance. And to give you a better sense of like what they were conceiving of, They wanted to have a festival with thousands of people. I don't remember or know how many they really slated to come. But they wanted to have it on an island that did not have any plumbing. So there was no housing structures. There was no plumbing. There was no infrastructure of any kind. And there was nowhere for planes to even land, like, at that capacity that they would need to to get that many people there. Let alone have, like, a sound stage and musical equipment and enough bathroom facilities for everyone. Like yeah you that was not possible it was never possible and that part was very clear from the beginning yes you knew that you were planning to do this on an island that had no development at all like it's literally just like grassland yes and they did have production companies who turned them down because they said well this is not possible to do maybe ever let alone within (laughs) six months you know also just the amount of money that it would cost to Mm -hmm. essentially build up an entire infrastructure on an island yeah and then and then also as you're saying add all the production costs of a stage and the sound system and all of that i mean if you don't have plumbing like you're really starting from ground zero exactly and then you know right what what made you think that you could go from zero to a hundred in a year yeah 
Yes, especially when this is a team that's never had a festival before and yeah. all these things. So I think in that sense, we know this many people involved had to have had a sense that this was not actually possible, especially the way it was being promoted. Maybe they mm-hmm. thought they could pull something off, but they certainly knew they were not pulling off what had been sold. What was promised. Yeah. Yeah. So the festival fails on April 28th. There were supposed to be two weekends, you know, back to back. The first weekend people are getting there and they shifted from this private island idea to uh, Great Exuma Island, which is one of the bigger ones. They have infrastructure. But one of the the like final nails in the coffin was that the weekend they had already planned to have this and been promoting for months happened to be the same weekend as a huge regatta gala with ships boating i don't i don't know how to describe that like racing and it's a huge festival that happens once a year on great exuma it's the biggest thing of the year so all of the hotels all of the like ex- existing infrastructure was already at max capacity so it was the worst time they could have done this but they've been promoting it already and selling tickets so they they feel like that they can't change it. They should have, of mm-hmm. course, pulled the plug, but they keep going forward. Ultimately, they've settled on this location that is a, I, it was near a Sandals Resort or it was a Sandals Resort that had like been moved. So there was these kinds of like weird circular round shapes and tons of gravel when you're looking at it from like an aerial shot. And then there's this big kind of like ravine area that like people could technically have fallen into but it's essentially just like a huge gravel pit and (laughs) they get these like fema disaster tents these like white tents and that's like what they end up having ready when people start arriving for the festival the stage isn't set up i mean all of the musical acts have pulled out anyway (laughs) but like people you know they're en route when all of this is really starting to fall apart and they get there and when everyone who's purchased these tickets sees what they're actually going to they're supposed to be sleeping in it's um you know all hell breaks loose basically because everyone's just freaking out and the day before that everyone started to arrive there had been just a torrential downpour so all of the mattresses and every every last bit of like preparation they had got really destroyed and um, the, the mattresses were all soaking wet and everything. So when people arrive, it's oh, just like, so gross. it's as bad as it could be. One of the things that um, I remember, it like sticks in my brain because I think about how livid I would mm-hmm. be, is that like some of the tickets cost more than other tickets. Yeah. They did like a, a VIP option mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. And one of the things you got with the VIP was like a... Uh, they kept calling them like villas. Yes. Like it was supposed yes. to be like a very like decked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had renderings side. of this stuff. Like they had yeah. pictures of what a villa looked like. And it like. looked beautiful. Oh, it yeah. did look beautiful in the renderings. Yeah. And then they get there and they had to sleep in an emergency tent. Yeah. And it's like, imagine like not only paying for a ticket, paying for your flight there, all of this yeah. stuff, but paying extra and then still not even getting even a tenth of what you paid for. Yeah. Because like you're like you said, you don't even get to see musical acts because they all dropped out. Yes. So like you're literally just on an island with like nothing to sleep in and nothing to eat. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. 
And that's where it, it gets miraculous that no one died because they were like using alcohol to appease everybody. They're making people drink a lot or not making them, but you know, they're encouraging them to. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and it's like, what else are you going to do? You've got here. Your, your mm-hmm. flight probably doesn't leave for three days. Yeah. And then you're basically stuck there. Cause mm-hmm. there's no, like there's probably very little chance that you can get a flight out. That's going to leave sooner than like, cause you're only there for three days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so when people started realizing what was up, a lot of people did go back to the airport. But, you know, this is a this is a small airport that has small planes that fly from the island to like the mainland to get you, you know, from the island to Miami, probably. And then you fly to mm-hmm. New York or wherever you're from. Sure. So sure. it's not like this is just like a big airport that can handle this. So what ends up happening is that like the they can't get a plane out. People are trying to get out. There's some stuff that happens with the crew. They have to change them out. There's all this shit. And so by the time they could potentially take off, it's I. it was like basically they didn't have a crew to take off with. So they ended up mm. locking hundreds of people in the airport overnight So because they were like, we can't take off until the morning. You need to stay here overnight. Holy shit. And they locked them in the building. That is also... That's like... I don't know. In my mind, that's equally as miserable being locked so in the airport brutal. as it is being on the island. Yes. Like, I, I don't know. Either way, like, it's it's shitty. And and I think to paint the picture a little bit better, this is, like, mostly upper middle class to wealthy white millennials. And I would say that this is probably the worst thing that most of them have had ever been through, which that's not to say that it's a horrible... I mean, it is horrible what happened, but... It's not that bad, but in the context of their lives, it was the worst thing yeah, yeah. that they it's had ever It's not that bad in the sense that, like, you knew when it was ending and that you were going to get out of there. Yeah. Whereas, like, people who experience natural disasters do not know those two things. Yeah. Those are both uncertainties for them. Yeah. Um, but still, like, yeah, that's a highly uncomfortable, terrible situation to be in and to know that, like, you paid for it. Yeah. You paid for this uh, opportunity mm-hmm. to be, like, basically not housed and not fed very well for three days. Yeah. And I'm sure at that point, some of them were like, we're going to get our money back. But joke's on them. There was no money to be had back. <laughs> like, um, part Good of the... Billy already spent it. <laughs> yeah. Part of the reason they kept selling villas, even though they knew they didn't have them, and they set up a a system where instead of having cash or cards on the island, people were supposed to load a wristband pre-attendance. So they were giving the festival even more money ahead of time that was supposed to be on their wristband, but it was not going on any wristbands. There was no Wi-Fi. Like, that's not a thing. Right, right. You're just giving them money and, like, there's no record of how much any one person has or how you can use that to get resources. Right. Right. And they were just using it to stay afloat because they they were burning through cash constantly. So the reason they didn't pull the plug was because if they pulled the plug, they would have had no money to pay back their investors that they were in millions to. So this is why it starts to be a scam instead of just like, oh, they really tried and it failed. So... Festival fails April 28th, and then June 30th of 2017, that same year, Billy is arrested for the first time on wire fraud charges. This is the same charge that Elizabeth Holmes was arrested on. On July 1st, he gets out on bail, 
And then he spends the next year living in New York City out on bail, scamming again. Okay. So this is when he combines his like magnesis card idea with his fire festival idea and starts using. <laughs> because both of those went so well. Let's just put them together. <laughs> He uses not, he doesn't make the calls himself, but he has like a person that he works with who emails and calls the same fire festival list, the list of attendees and people they'd already scammed from these last two ventures. And the idea was that we were going to sell you tickets to events like um, Hamilton, Adele concerts, Victoria's Secret fashion show, the Met Gala. These things, the Met that, Gala. Yeah. Why would people think that they can buy tickets to the I Met know. Gala? Come on. Same with the Victoria's Secret fashion show. Like That's you're not, not gonna just like casually buy a ticket for that. Also, like think about the amount of people that can physically fit. Like you're not gonna be one of those. people. I know. <laughs> you know, like it's there's a limit. Ridiculous. How many people can attend to this fashion show? You're not gonna be one of those butts in the seat. Exactly. Like, I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, so with some of the things like the Adele tickets, Hamilton, they would promise these tickets at a much like cheaper rate than what was happening at the time in New York city and people would purchase those tickets. And so what this company, I forget what it was called, like elite events or something crazy. Um, they would have to purchase all those tickets at like a crazy, crazy price to get them to the people who'd purchase them, um, at this cheap rate. But the reason they kept doing this was this, they would get this influx of cash of like $5,000 of people buying these like cheap tickets. And then they have to fix the situation by like actually getting those tickets to people. But then other times they would do like Victoria's Secret Fashion Show or the Met Gala that you, you're never going to get a ticket to that. So they would just take the money and then be like, oops, sorry. So this is the same type of scam over and over mm-hmm. again. Sure. And Billy yeah, is... Yeah, I, I feel like it's worth pointing out that Billy's not that creative. No. Like, he scammed people in the same way no. many times. Yes. But it weren't, they weren't really different scams. Yes. And so a year later in uh, June of 2018, he's charged with more fraud. Oh, NYC VIP. That's what it was called. I did have it written down here. That was the name of this tickets scam company. And then in uh, October of... Um, 2018, he was sentenced to four years in prison. But the reason I wanted to give that timeline was because the fact that he used the same list of people who he had scammed for fire fraud and that some of them were scammed again by this NYC VIP ticket sales is what inspired Gabrielle Bluestone to write this book. Because she was like, I mean, Fire Festival was crazy. People fell for that. Okay. But then the same people fell for another scam that was essentially the same thing again. Right, right. How does this keep happening? Why does this keep happening to us? Yeah. So that's really why she wrote the book. She's interested in Fire Festival, but it's more how could these same people be duped again? And what is it about this luxury goods or experience, these generally inaccessible things that make us so vulnerable to say, okay, yes, I'm going to spend the money. And then say yes again after we've supposedly like learned our lesson with the lived experience that we got scammed. Exactly. So, okay, that's Fire Festival. We might shed a little bit more light on it here and there as we go, but that's the main piece of it. That's the timeline. 
And then to understand what she digs into in the rest of her book, I pulled out two specific vignettes because like I said, she talks about a ton of stuff, a ton of different people, products, influencers that all are scam adjacent. And it was kind of an overwhelming amount of things. So I felt maybe let's focus on these two specific stories that I found the most interesting and revealing. And that'll just give you a taste of what the types of things she covers in this book are. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Okay. So the first thing that she talks about really early on, it's actually in the introduction. It's about this movie called The Joneses. Have you heard of this movie? It debuted Um, in 2009 at the Toronto Film Festival. Is it a horror movie? No, it's a movie starring Demi Moore, David Duchovny, and weirdly enough, Amber Heard. Like, talk about topical. Um, No. (laughs) Topical. (laughs) Um, no, I have not heard of this movie. I'm, uh, I just Googled it. It is apparently available on Pluto TV for free. So fun. Uh, and maybe Amazon Prime. So for those of you who want to go watch it. Yeah. Have fun. And it was written and directed by Derek Bort. And it's about this, uh, family. It follows a family of paid actors who's product placement endeavors dramatically affect the behaviors of the people in the town that they are assigned to. Mm, so it's a little bit like Truman show. Yeah. Like, so they're posing okay. as a family. They have all, all this wealth and all these things that they use in their lives. They have this picture perfect life and it affects the people that are around them in that their neighbors start to drive the same cars, wear the same clothes, purchase the same furniture, do all these things. Gotcha. And um, Bluestone describes it as an incredible prediction of what social media influence would become. The script was begun in 2002, so it predates like Instagram and stuff. So it's really incredible that Derek Bort imagined this um, dystopian reality so specifically. Because now that's really all we do is look at our phones and look at what other people are doing and wearing and buying and we do the same things. So Mm -hmm. although this is presented as very, again, dystopian, it is actually very close to the way we live now. And um, one of my favorite things about this story that she tells is she interviews the director, Derek Bort, and he used to work in advertising, which makes sense as to how we conceived of this story. And he told Bluestone that a lot of the budget for the film came from the product placement inside of the film. Oh, that's so bleak. So, yeah, um, (laughs) it feels like a very eerie parallel to the time we are currently living in. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't, I, I haven't stopped thinking about it, like how this was presented as like, oh, this is so dark and bleak. Mm -hmm. And now we're basically just living that all the time. Yeah. Um, So it made me wonder, she talks about another product thing that I'll, I'll tell you about in a second, but I want to know first from you, what was the last thing that you're aware of being influenced to buy or do, or like a trip to take or whatever? Like, what can you think of something that you were like, Ooh, Instagram made me buy it. (laughs) um good question i bought a serum that i really like it is like more expensive i think than other other skincare products Mm -hmm. that i have bought Mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure i found out from that through an ad on facebook so that is like probably a good 
specific like parallel because I, I remember seeing the ad for it and a part of what I like attracted to me and made me click on it I think is that I really like the packaging mm, for it like mm-hmm. it's a very it's a bright yellow bottle mm. and it's very like sunny and cheery and uh, I don't remember the first time that I bought this because now now that I tried it and I actually like it I like buy it regularly Um, but I don't remember when I first like bought it, but I do remember that I saw it on an ad first and I remember like Googling it then and like looking at their website and I'm one of those people that like will often do the dance Mm -hmm. of like purchasing something. So I'll see the ad, I'll click on it and I'll be like, I don't need this. And then like three days later, (laughs) they'll serve me the same ad. So I do the same thing. And then like. Three days later, I'll think of it. And so I'll Google it. And then they'll serve me the same ad again because I Googled it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so it's like a lot of that sort of thing, which I think is like breaking down your like. um, Resistance. uh, Yeah, your resistance to it and your like ability to be like, "Eh, I don't need this or whatever. And so um, I feel like that's a lot of the uh, interaction Mm -hmm. that I have. Like I rarely see an ad, go to it, purchase that thing. Yeah. But. I've definitely had a lot of times where I've, like, seen the same ad for, like, two or three months, and I've been like, I love this. I'm getting it (laughs) by the end of it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think there's – there definitely is research, but I can't remember the exact number of how many times you need to see an ad before you will purchase an item. Mm, And it's definitely more than one. I think it's, like, three plus or something, which does feel accurate for me. I also have a very, like – um. I don't want to, for it to work on me. Oh, so yeah. it's like, uh, if <laughs> I'd rather keep my money. <laughs> yeah. And I also don't want them to be like, haha, we got her. Like I'm, I'm like, no, I don't purchase things. Yeah. Well, I think like, I'm not a part of capitalism. <laughs> I would never. Um, I think one thing that has helped me in terms of like clothing mm-hmm. Is that whenever I see something that I like and I go to the page and I'm like, oh, I want this or whatever, mm-hmm. then I'll like, before I buy anything, I'll go to like thread up and mm-hmm. look up similar things there. Mm-hmm. And then I'll save it in my like, you can save it in your like favorites or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then if I come back a week later and I still want it, then I'll like either get that or maybe I'll go back to the original store and buy it there. Yeah. But if I don't care about it after a week, I'm like, you didn't need that. Yes. Like that is a, <laughs> so such a good it's like trick. helpful to like give I don't know, it's like such a like toddler way of treating myself, but I think it works, so I'm gonna keep doing it. I think it works too. I'm very much a believer of like if you don't don't get it right away. If you because mm-hmm. if you still want it in a week, it'll still be there. I mean maybe you'll have to wait for it to restock or whatever. You'll get it. And if you still want it after that long, then you really wanted it. So great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to read this section uh, that she writes about this film. And I found it really um, good. She The way she writes is really fun. She has little asides and she's witty and sarcastic. So really enjoyable. So this passage starts with a quote from one of the characters in the film. Okay. So. She says, you're not selling things anymore. To succeed here, you can't just sell things. You're here to sell a lifestyle, an attitude. Hutton purrs to the Coveney in their aforementioned cameo. If you want, if people want you, they'll want what you've got. In real life, the street of desire may be more of a two-way road than Hutton lets on, at least if the booming market for sugar babies is any indication. 
But in the film, her prediction comes true as Duchovny floats through his performative life with his neighbors cast as an unwitting audience for what amounts to a 24-7 QVC show. Duchovny's character is the platonic ideal of a wealthy man with no clear job who drives off into the sunset in a gleaming Audi convertible, golfs perfect rounds with his new top-of-the-line clubs, and buys pricey Van Cleef and Arpels jewelry to surprise his wife because, as he intimates to his neighbor clients, it's a fun way of guaranteeing copulation. No one in the community... I know. (laughs) Disgusting. No one in the community is exactly sure of his net worth or even how he makes his money. In fact, the mystery is a running plot point. But it's clear he has a lot of it. And it's not long before his neighbors decide that they'll have what he's having. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Uh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. So it was um, a really good opening to her book, setting the stage for the way life imitates art and then art imitates life until we cannot discern between the two of them any longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, very true. And like you mentioned, like the fact that I had to think about when the last time I was influenced was mm-hmm. certainly it was before the time that I brought up, right? Yeah. But we're just often not aware of like being influenced in that way, mm-hmm. or you know, just I, I think a lot of it is so self, like not self conscious, subconscious. Maybe self-conscious. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it is so subconscious, and it's happening in the background of our minds mm-hmm. when we're not even really kind of thinking about it being something that is influencing mm-hmm. us and then we like to sit back and be like well we are not influenced by anything yes. and it's like no you are you're just not thinking about it in those terms yeah the, and the thing i would mentioned right before i asked you that question the like product i was going to talk about i think a really good one to help us think about the ways we are influenced and how products can shift the landscape overnight essentially is do you remember that summer when the aperol spritz became a thing Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, like that I think is the perfect example of a product being like, okay, we're we're irrelevant. No one likes us anymore. We have kind of a bad taste. <laughs> but instead of basing, We're actually a bad product. Yeah, we're, um, look, we're a bad product that was made for old people. And no one likes us anymore. And instead of, you know, changing the product, they <laughs> made themselves cool again. A lot of what it involved was having people in the Hamptons and in like cool clubs in New York City and stuff that summer mm-hmm. being paid to loudly purchase Aperol spritzes and drink them and mm-hmm. post about them. And when you see cool people doing this thing and having a pretty drink, it looks beautiful in Instagram. So that was a big thing too. Like this is a very photograph worthy yeah, yeah. drink. It's like bright orange with bubbles and very summery. So this caught on like wildfire and people started ordering Aperol spritzes who didn't know what an Aperol spritz was before that and never probably didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And probably didn't even enjoy it that much. I've never had one. I actually like Aperol because I like bitter things. It's like my, I don't know, weird part of my personality. (laughs) It's very pretty in a spritz, but I'm sure there's other drinks you'd enjoy more. For sure. For sure. And, and other drinks that are equally as like, photographic yeah you know or whatever like right there i'm sure there are other drinks that are made that are like Mm -hmm. pretty in instagram pictures i mean most drinks i feel like if you're getting like a mixed drink can be beautiful depending on the glass that is in but uh yeah this actually reminds me too and we don't have to spend very much time on this but 
one of the things that I was thinking about in terms of like subconscious mm-hmm. uh, influences mm-hmm. has been weddings. Ooh. I think there are a, like all of us, yeah. everyone who's like been through wedding planning is influenced by whatever trends are happening yes. at the time. Yes. But I don't think that we often like articulate that because we're like, no, I just, I like this and I think it'll be pretty, you know? Um, but I've also noticed it in terms of uh, engagement rings. Oh, so yes. when I was in high school mm-hmm. and that was, you know, 2012, let's say mm-hmm. 2012 to 20, like 16. Mm-hmm. No one, not a single person I knew had a gold wedding ring. Oh, yes. Every single person had silver and they were all pretty, but like, you know, nobody that I knew had, had gold wedding bands. Yeah. And now from like 2018 to like now, every single person I know that's gotten engaged has a gold band. Yes. And obviously they they look a little bit different. They have different features, whatever it is. Um, and like myself included, like I have a, a rose gold mm-hmm. engagement ring and wedding band. Um, and we got engaged in 2017, no, 2018, 2018, 2018. Um, and so like watching that like kind of play out has been so interesting because yeah. it's like, that is not at all something that we would admit we're oh. influenced by trends because they're like, it's like a personal thing, mm-hmm. you know, or you, or at least you think of it that way. Yeah. But ultimately, like, it's still like a, a bought object mm-hmm. and anything that we buy has like capitalist influence, yeah. like trends, fingerprint DNA on it. Totally. You know? A great way to see that in action is to watch that show um, on TLC called Four Weddings or like old, old ones. Oh my gosh. Because yes. you'll see, you'll be like, oh my God, this reeks of 2009. Like I know right. exactly when this wedding was. <laughs> Holy shit. Right. It's such a good time capsule. And they would never yeah. think that their like comforter looking skirt was influenced by the time they were living no. in, but it most certainly was. And no one should have been yeah. wearing that. <laughs> Everybody thinks that, like, what they picked out was what they picked out because they liked it. And sure, they you did. did like it. Yeah. But it was also, like, probably one of the things that was available because of trends and because yes. of influence. And you you may have liked it mostly because you kept seeing it everywhere. We like yeah, things we're too. familiar with, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, people didn't like gold when the silver right. platinum bands were popular. Gold was, like, old-fashioned and ugly, and now it's very yeah, tiny. Yeah, exactly. Again. It was. It was, like, I remember people saying that, that it was, like, and I'm sure it was probably even earlier than yeah. I remember. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that trend lasted longer than, yeah. like, the years that I said. Um, but it is kind of, like, really funny that way. Yeah. But now you see cool people, like influencers and stuff with gold jewelry. That's been such a big mm-hmm. thing. And now it's it looks pretty to us again because we're used to seeing it in these aesthetic ways. Mm-hmm. So we like it, but we only like it because we've been saturated with it. Yeah. Well, and also I think, too, like it's one of those things where it's like maybe you always liked gold bands, but you are like given permission to like it Mm -hmm. and flaunt Mm -hmm. it and like choose it when influencers are doing that. So like maybe you always had a preference towards silver with diamonds or silver with rubies, but like maybe you only felt like you could get that ring because it was 2009 Mm -hmm. and that was in, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So I think it's also like 
like, I don't know how much we are aware of or even articulate how much trends have an impact on what we we choose for things. Yeah. Well, if I am ever to order an Aperol spritz, which I haven't yet, it will be because (laughs) of that summer that they were so famous. Like, I otherwise would not have known it was a drink nor be interested in it, you know? I, I've I've heard of it, but I've never I've still never had yeah. one. So I I kind of want to try one this now summer, because, Kate. We'll get one because you influenced yeah, me, exactly. and I want one. <laughs> I want to see if it's bad. Um, there's this I think it's a New Yorker article that talks about how the Aperol Spritz isn't even a good drink, and they say it like drinks like a Capri Sun on a hot day, <laughs> and oh. not in a good way. But oh. I was like, I still want to see what it's like. Um, okay, so on to this next little vignette that I want to talk about. So this part of the book also stayed with me a lot in just a way that I found really funny and kind of kept coming back up throughout the book and also in life. So this other character that she talks a lot about, her name is Danielle Bernstein. She is a influencer and a founder of a fashion blog called We Wore What? Also a fashion designer. Mm, some could debate whether or not she's doing designing or stealing, but she calls herself a fashion designer. And she ran in very similar circles to McFarland in New York City at the time that Magnesis and Fire Festival were up and coming. She was actually asked to promote both Magnesis, this credit card, and Fire. She declined to be involved in both because she wasn't sure what they were. They felt a little scammy to her, she claims. But she was confirmed to attend the second weekend of Fire Festival. That weekend never happened, of course, because the first weekend imploded. But she was going to go to the festival. She just didn't promote it. One of the huge promotional devices they used that we didn't talk about was this Orange Square takeover on Instagram. So they had all of their influencers and models post this Orange Square that was like, come to fire with me or whatever. And it was really visually stunning because all of a sudden your feed, they posted it all at the same time. So your feed is just these Orange Squares. And then a lot of people who weren't asked or paid to post the square just posted it anyway. So they got all this free marketing from this campaign. Mm -hmm. Danielle Bernstein did not do that, but she was going to go to the festival. Um, Bluestone reached out to her, wanted to do an interview in 2009. Um, It was a long form piece she was working on that would ultimately become book. And this was right around the time that both of the Firefest documentaries aired. So this is after the fa- the festival has failed and Bluestone is looking for essentially witnesses to everything that happened beforehand, people who may have been involved. And Berenstein was open. Oh, it's not Berenstein. It's Bernstein. I keep writing it wrong in my notes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, Bernstein was open to the interview, but then also proposed that Bluestone come to her apartment and do a podcast that she runs called We Heard What. Um, It would be like an informal chat about Fire Festival to be a supplement to the article. So in this podcast episode, Berenstein presents herself as an influencer with integrity who wouldn't promote anything to her followers that she hadn't tried and believed in herself. And I think she has some leverage to claim this because she didn't promote Fire Festival. Um, but she's been involved in a number of other shady, if not outright unethical business ventures from like a jewelry, jewelry collaboration that she ac- actually ripped off of a small designer and tried to sell with Nordstrom and among other things. 
So most of the time when she is called out on these situations, she handles it by taking to Instagram to cry on video about the awful, true things that people are saying about her online. So she has this kind of playbook of being unethical, kind of scammy, but she's... And then being the victim when somebody calls her out on it. And she's pretty and young and fashionable and has a certain amount of wealth. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So people follow her and she has influence because of those things, but she's not, certainly not an ethical figure in any way. Um, But Bluestone wants to have this interview because she's basically the perfect example of this like scam influencer that um, Bluestone is interested in. And so I'm going to read a section that's a little bit long, but really funny and interesting about um, the time that she spends with Bluestone doing this podcast. So she gets to Berenstein's apartment and she recognizes a lot of it because she's seen so much of it online already, which is kind of a trippy Mm -hmm. experience. She describes it being sort of uncomfortable because she's sitting on the ground across this coffee table from Berenstein where they're doing the recording. And before they started... Um, Bernstein told her that she did not like editing the episode, so she just didn't want there to be any mistakes, essentially. And while mm-hmm. they're recording, Bernstein's dog started humping Bluestone's leg, but she couldn't <laughs> say anything about it because Bernstein already told her that she didn't like to have to edit the episodes. So oh she just sits there for a while while the dog is like humping her, and then finally an assistant like notices and and fixes the situation. But it's just like a <laughs> like a very. And I think the thing that Bluestone so like doesn't really articulate but feels very present in this passage is that Bernstein has all the power. Like Bluestone is literally yeah. sitting on her floor while her dog humps her leg, not saying anything because she doesn't <laughs> want to mess up this podcast. Like who gives a shit? But she wants yeah, to have this interview with her it. and have her involved in this article. So she's willing to kind of put herself out there. And she even seems a little bit smitten by this the personality so Mm, okay the influence is working even when you know that it's a thing and wish it wasn't yeah yeah it's like the placebo effect yeah so she goes on to say when we had concluded our talk and the podcast was safely uploaded which she says bernstein did minutes after they ended the conversation so zero editing um bernstein promoted it on social media with a heavily filtered instagram story post in which she graciously tagged me then bernstein sent me on my way with promises of doing the originally scheduled interview about social media influence when she had more time so i let it go after all she had already confirmed her participation in writing the second interview would never occur hey babe so i've been working on a book of my own right now and my team doesn't think i should be involved in any others at this time sorry about this and best of luck she replied when I inquired about dates. Six months later, she popped up in my inbox again. She had completed her book and was wondering, Hey, babe, how are you? Not sure if you saw... Ew, stop calling her babe. I hate this. So I hate bad. it. It's so disingenuous. You are on time out. Use a different word. I hate the how are you, too. How are you? No, doesn't care at all. You don't care at all. How are you? Don't ask. Not sure if you saw it, but I'm releasing a book this spring about my life, making it at NYC, and becoming a boss entrepreneur. Disgusting. Oh my god. That makes me want to throw myself off a building. <laughs> We're currently exploring TV options, and I wanted to reach out to see if you had any thoughts for me. Reader, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everything she said was dripping with disingenuous energy like i i just like 
wow, you seem like the worst kind of person. Yeah. So she pops up a couple other times throughout this book in some like scammy things she does. And after I finished reading this book, uh, I saw an Instagram post and I'm not going to tell you the Instagram because it's my pop culture pairing. So stay tuned. Okay. Um, one of my pop culture pairings, but I saw an Instagram post from this account. I follow who does a lot of like fashion investigation of, uh, ripoffs and mm, okay. inauthentic, uh, collaborations. And the post was about Danielle Bernstein. And it said that she is launching a We Wore What, that's the name of her brand and blog, mm-hmm. a We Wore What credit card. And I was like, no. no. So I look into it and this credit card sucks. It has, um, now I forget all the details. Basically, it was, it encourages you so much to put money on the card because you don't have to have a, you don't have to have a credit check or any of these other fail safes that prevent people from mm-hmm. getting into serious dire straits. Sure. Um, and it has associated perks with it. And I just, it's, it reeks The perks are so you'll much. be in debt. Yeah, the perks are <laughs> jail. Um... <laughs> And I was just like, wow, she's really ripping a page out of the Magnesis fire fraud playbook to yeah. continue scamming while their leader is in jail. Like, yeah. gross. Uh, um, wow. Yeah. So that just, it really stood out to me as the way these like scam influencers can be very incestuous and they feed off of each mm-hmm. other and they use each other's ideas. And yeah. she declined to comment on a couple of things because she was working with fuck Jerry on their, their Yaya tequila or Jaja tequila or what the fuck ever they were making. Ew, like what? they're all in bed <laughs> Why together. Why are they making tequila anyway? <laughs> Stop. Uh, if no famous people should ever make alcohol. That is the worst. So there was just all these points and I was like, yeah, this sucks. Like they just keep scamming the same pool of vulnerable, lonely, bored people and Yeah. And and they just get away with it because they cry on camera and they're pretty. It just it it bums yeah. me out so much. And another thing that I was thinking <laughs> is <laughs> it's a fair thing to be yeah. thought about. <laughs> These these types of people, and I would say, like, the Kardashians are obviously a way above someone like Danielle mm-hmm. Bernstein, but these types of influencers who are famous for being famous, essentially, they get all of this product and clothing and things to show on their Instagrams as a way of the product selling mm-hmm. for that company. Um, yeah. And then people buy that product to have the kind of life that this person is presenting online. But you you never have access to that life because those people got all that stuff for free and you're such a sucker for spending all that money to look like them when they got it for free and that it just seems like the biggest who even knows if the products that they're using are really what made them look that way you know it's it's like okay well they say that's why but also it reminds me of that 38 rock line where it's like, thank you. It's genetic and unattainable. It's like <laughs> yeah. true. Like um, a lot of these women, like we talked about the plastic surgery and that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Yeah. But also like a lot of influencers, I think are genuinely just very conventionally attractive. And so that's a big part of it too. Like maybe they just have naturally good skin. Yeah. Like there's nothing you can do if you were born with like, you know, 
a really bad acne or something to fully ever like be able to wake up and not have to wash your face and not worry about it. You know what I mean? So yeah, stuff like that. It's like, well, you say that, but I don't even, I don't even know. Like if you did get all those products for free, would you even have the same benefits? Who knows? Yeah. Agreed. Um, have you ever, we talked about things that you've been influenced to buy, but have you ever had a person that you found really compelling online that you wanted to keep like reading their tweets or following their account or whatever, whether it was because their life felt aspirational or otherwise, maybe it was like a hate follow situation. We've all, <laughs> we've all had those. Um, I don't follow, again, I feel like a lot of this is like Instagram driven. Yeah, and so maybe the fact is. that I'm not on Instagram is like a part of that. Um, I use Twitter most of my social media and then probably like Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat, I just follow people that I right. know. So There's no news feed. Yeah, less. But um, on Twitter, I follow a lot of comedians, mm. like, because I just like think they're really funny and I like being able to doom scroll and also occasionally get a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know that any of that is like influence because I like think their life is really cool unnecessarily um I feel like my like parasocial relationships mm-hmm. are a lot more with like podcasters because I can like listen to them while I'm doing things and then I'm like me and Sarah Marshall are friends actually yeah. and it's like no you're not you don't know her at all <laughs> and you've never met but you know things like that where I um I think it's maybe less visual I mm-hmm. guess like like I I follow um uh, Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs mm-hmm. on Twitter mm-hmm. because I just like the way they think. And so yeah. um, I feel like I'm definitely probably influenced by like the way they think about things yeah. uh, and also by listening to their podcast. But I don't know that it's so much like how how they live, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. I think if I were on Instagram, I would probably have a, a good example because I think if you're on Instagram because it's so visually driven, like yeah. that's a big part of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But it sounds like you're more interested in intellectual or philosophical, the ideas rather than the visual of someone's life. So you're not... I just want people to make me laugh. Yeah, and humor. Totally. <laughs> so I was going like to say. Yeah. Which... But also, like, that doesn't mean that they're not, like... Just because somebody can make me laugh doesn't mean they're a good person. That's you know? totally So that's, true. like, yeah. also, you know... Yeah. That, that doesn't, like, excuse anything, really. But, yeah. but yeah, I guess I have less, like, good visual examples mm-hmm. um, of that. Yeah. I remember um, back when blogging was just becoming more popular probably like 2009 2010 era i mean it Mm -hmm. it had been popular or it had been a thing before then but i think people were starting to become famous from it which was like whoa Mm -hmm. and i was looking up a recipe for this thing called slutty brownies which ooh, that sounds delicious the last time i told them brownies today (gasps) yes you should consider that's it doing slutty brownies brownies. And I'm gonna brownies tell you about them. Brownies, bitches. <laughs> I'm just like screaming. At people. They're like, we don't care. <laughs> um, the last time I told someone about this, they looked at me in disgust, but they weren't from the Midwest, which I think was my mistake. Oh my god. Whatever. Slutty brownie is you get like a brownie pan, then you press mm-hmm. chocolate chip cookie dough into the bottom. 
Ooh, yes, I've seen and this. And put Oreos on top of a cookie dough and then pour mm-hmm. brownie batter on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. The good stuff. Delicious. Uh, I want that now. Yeah. Second of all, um, I one of my biggest pet peeves in the entire world is when people are like, that doesn't even sound good. It's like, fuck off. Of I course know. it sounds good. You are just saying that because you're trying to convince yourself you don't want to eat it. Yeah. And that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Just say like, oh, that sounds so good, but I don't. I don't think I should eat that or whatever. Right. Or just don't say anything at all. Just but don't tell me it doesn't yourself. sound good. You're lying. A chocolate You're all chip lying. Oreo brownie? Shut the fuck yeah, up. Like, of course are you it kidding sounds me? Good. <laughs> yeah. We are like evolutionarily developed to love that. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, so apparently in the Midwest somewhere, I think I want to say Minnesota or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a, a burger that's has cheese stuffed in the middle of it. Okay. And it's like you bite into and it, and it's just like a cheese bomb. And I was at recently at like a trivia night with like it was with coworkers, uh-huh. and they were like, uh, um, the question was they gave you the picture okay. of this okay. like sandwich, yeah. and they were like, what does what is the name of this sandwich? And like in parentheses, it was a hint that it rhymed. We were like, oh, I bet it's called something like the Uzi Susie or whatever. So that's what we put down. Oh my god! That's <laughs> and it turns out it's called the Juicy Lucy. I was like, No, oh. you're kidding me. Uzi First Susie's of all, better. Uzi Susie is better. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Second of all, like so fucking funny that that's, we you were, were so, so close. close. We knew it was a woman's name. Of course, it had to be a woman's name. There has to be a vaguely sexual component oh, to of it. Of course, like, the burger has to be a her, yeah, obviously. obviously. <laughs> Because if a man's going to devour it, it had better be a woman, okay? Right, right. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that doesn't even sound good. It's like, yes, it does. Shut up. Um, but the the slutty brownies I found because I had, like, Googled for the recipe or whatever, and I stumbled across this blog by a woman who, she is still very famous. I'll see her stuff every so often. But she lives in London, and she had, she must have just mm. had, like, deep family wealth because that Mm -hmm. she just had this lifestyle that was absolutely unattainable and glamorous beyond belief and -hmm. basically this recipe was embedded in the story of her having a dinner party with all of her very fancy cool friends they were kind of young like really young still like maybe mid-20s and they all wore like suits um bow ties fancy dresses they had all these candles down there like flat tape like in their flat Mm -hmm. along the table and the dessert they had were these slutty brownies. And it was this, it was so, I don't know. It was Decadence. such, yeah. And it, it really taught me a lot about the way you can, a story and an identity and all of these trappings mm-hmm. around something like recipe will make it stick in your head forever. Like I'll never forget the pictures that she posted in her blog alongside mm, this recipe. Yeah. And I think there's just a, like a lot of power to it. But the bottom line yeah. is that that is unattainable. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> well, not the slutty brownies. Not the you slutty can make brownies. those. Yeah, but the, the rest of the life, unfortunately, yeah. probably, the lifestyle you know? is so mostly unattainable. You can eat slutty brownies people. while eating them over your sink. Like that's fine. <laughs> that's the attainable life I'm shooting for. Yeah, I think my antidote for that is to just stop attempting. Like just accept whatever no i don't know i don't like this platitude that i'm leaning into but i I don't know how to like wrap up this idea (laughs) but i guess what really i feel is i wish that i could replicate those things in my life 
often these like glamorous experiences where I have like tons of fancy friends who want to come to my flat and have a dinner party with these like crazy ass brownies. Um, but I, I guess I've accepted that like that is not necessarily, it's not reality in the sense that, fuck, I don't know where I'm going with this case. <laughs> I truly do not know how to get out. Am of this I supposed story. to know? Am no, I supposed to jump no, in? No, I platitude? don't know what the fuck I'm. And supposed that's to why say. you always leave a note. No, there like there doesn't need to be a platitude. Like, that's why. Okay. Well, close. anyway, I um, think I I totally understand what, the sentiment of what you're trying to say, which is that like it's okay that it's okay yeah, it's that okay it that like we that. can't okay. achieve things that are actually unachievable yes That's and that a like, very human experience and even when you like try to do something cool sometimes it doesn't work out but you can still end up eating sweaty brownies yeah. over your sink and that's better than nothing well folks. and i i think honestly what i'm trying to point out is that like maybe i could document my life in this beautiful way but I know what that requires oh, that is having a camera out all the time, putting my phone on a tripod on a sidewalk and filming myself. And I'm like, and getting like no... the perfect lighting yeah. and making my friends at my dinner party stop and pose and do all this shit. And it's like, I yeah. cannot live my life that way. So it's less about it being unattainable. And it's more about an active choice that I'm making. I mean, I don't have that kind of wealth, but I'm not choosing to document every moment of my life in that way to then present it as beautiful and glamorous and curate it to a bunch of people I've never met. And I think that's an okay choice to make and, and not to yes. judge people who make the opposite choice, but it's really, you will be just as fulfilled if not more. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have the opposite problem where I have to force myself to remember to take photos of things yeah. that I am enjoying and like I want to remember yeah because I've had so many times where I've like maybe not necessarily gone on trips like I usually take at least one picture but like hung out with friends or whatever and then like just completely forgotten to take photos and then been like kind of sad because it's like well that was a great night I would have loved to like have a memory of that yeah that, or, or like you still have the memory right but, but I would love to have something to jog the memory of that but then you just sort of like, you know, yeah. forgot to take pictures. I know. I'm I'm much more like that now too. Like I have a million photos of like stupid shit. Like I don't know. Oh, I have so just, many pictures of my dog. Yeah, like and that's it's not so stupid. But it's like I don't need as many as I <laughs> no, have. No, it's not certainly. stupid. <laughs> um, but it's my lifeblood. I'm just like <laughs> it is my taking life a million blood. pictures. I have one final thing that okay. I'm gonna read that is okay. a, a really great way to close this out, and it's again funny. This is going back to the way the fire festivals began to crumble and ultimately implode. Um, people had bought a lot of tickets. There was no information for them. Nobody knew what their flight was supposed to be. The festival team was not communicating, mostly because they didn't have flights and didn't know what was going on on their end. So they couldn't communicate it. Um, mm -hmm. And attendees started to get really upset and post on social. It took like three people at one point to just manage the negative comments on their socials all the time mm -hmm. so this is where we're at it's like before the festival and things are falling apart and yet still people did not <laughs> realize okay so bluestone says but despite the glaring inconsistencies between what fire had promised and what it ended up delivering it ultimately wouldn't have mattered much if anyone had caught wind in advance and demanded for a refund the organizers were only reachable by email and they had stopped responding months before, outsourcing the job to Tableist, whose employees were just as in the dark as the ticket holders. 
The festival's official Instagram page was kept current, but the Fuck Jerry team manning it refused to respond to concerned commenters and instead spent their time deleting the most critical public comments. Can someone confirm the status of the festival? Supposed to be flying out in the morning, but photos and updates from the people there now say it is unsafe and not at all what was advertised. How can we guarantee the status and guarantee refunds? One woman asked by direct message on Instagram the day everything imploded. She noticed the message was quickly marked as red, meaning a real life person had viewed the message, but no response followed. Your red receipts are on, <laughs> she messaged back. Hero. Whoever was American reading her text hero. sent a <laughs> Yeah. Whoever was reading her text sent a heart emoji in return, but declined to respond. That is again. so petty. Oh my Isn't that God. hilarious? Wow. Heart. Yeah. Appreciate you. <laughs> Will I get a refund? Oh no, heart. God. It's like, all right. Heart. You can crawl back into the hey, hole babe. that you came from <laughs> and let's just all move up. on. That is so yeah. truly um, so rude. Would love to know what miserable millennial oh, had had every last no ounce of their lifeblood ripped from them who was like heart <laughs> your red receipts are on <laughs> amazing uh, legend um you love to see it so that i thought was a good <laughs> final image of how bad the festival fell apart and and while not everyone was like culpable yeah. for the scam certainly there was a scam going on and um billy mcfarland is still in prison good. paying for it at least for another year or so. <laughs> yeah. Good. So for the pop culture pairings, um, I wanted to list uh, the part of the list of things that Bluestone talks about in her book, just in case anyone found this very interesting and wants to read more about these types of scams. So I'm going to read that list. And then I also have two other things that I'm going to recommend as good pairings. Mm -hmm. So... The list, incomplete list that Bluestone talks about in her book are Anna Delvey, Goop, oh. Caroline Calloway. I know. Caroline Calloway is another Instagram influencer type who, absolute chaos, incredible story to read if you're interested in that one. Ongoing. Theranos, as we know, we're familiar Theranos. with that. We work. <laughs> There, there are no <laughs> completely forgotten how it goes. Uh, I'm Elizabeth. I, I, have to, I have to do it like that to get into it. Okay. We work. Mm -hmm. Juicero. Supreme. Jet Smarter. Tesla and Elon Musk. And Sunday Riley, which is a skincare brand. So that those are among many others are a few of the things she talks about to uncover this idea of internet These scams. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. And each one of them I was like, ooh, fun, great, love this, keep going, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> and then the things that I'd like to suggest are the Instagram I mentioned earlier where I saw the we wore what credit card thing. That is called Diet Prada. And it's just a great account that really focuses on like corruption and unethical practices and abuse mm, in the okay. fashion industry. And yeah, that they have endless content. <laughs> yeah. So really fun account to follow. And good people run that. And then there's a podcast that I've been listening to recently that 
it's not really the same topic, but it gives me the same kind of like bubbly fun feeling mm-hmm. that this book gave me of just like gossip, gossip, gossip. And this one, this podcast is called Normal Gossip. And it is a podcast where uh, friends of friends call in to tell the uh, host this story of some juicy gossip that happened somewhere in their sphere of friends. And then the host tells the story to a, a guest that she invites on. And it's really fun. And it's great to hear gossip that you are not a part of, but that is just juicy. Oh, yeah. And it's like lowest super stakes, but highest yeah. reward. And yeah. I'm fully addicted. Yeah. There's this one that was from last season where they talk about a trip that these girlfriends go on. That oh, was my God. Just that one was the funniest. So wild. The lamp? It was. <laughs> the lamp. I know. It was absolutely wild. Like, okay, everyone just go listen. Hilarious. Just story. go listen to the Gossip yeah. Podcast, okay? And also You'll ours. Love it. Don't forget ours. Yeah, don't forget ours. And read this book, Hype, by Gabrielle Bluestone. It was a great ride and um, so fun. I learned so many hilarious scam things. <laughs> Yay! Well, thank you so much for telling us this wonderful story. It was yes. a full journey, but I loved it. Thank you. I did too. It was super fun. Loved learning more about your uh, ability to be influenced or scammed. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah. Stay vigilant, folks. Don't buy tickets to music festivals unless they have a good track record. (laughs) Now it feels like bad to end it on come back for more of our bullshit because it's like also a scam <laughs> more of our bullshit but not that kind of bullshit no one that's else's. like scamming you bullshit just yeah no one else's bullshit only our book bullshit okay come back for our juicy lucy's <laughs> what was it yeah it's juicy lucy Uzi susie. Uzi susie come back for our Uzi susie bullshit <laughs> oh my god Ew. So i'm keeping that <laughs> at Applebee's (laughs) I have gift cards